We heard a scripture this morning, and one of the things that uh, I want to share with you uh, is about, again, uh, everyone doing right in their own eyes. Uh, it's been said that variety is the spice of life, hasn't it? Actually, what it says is from the uh, poem from Cowper's uh, The Task, variety is the very spice of life. It gives all of its flavors. How many of you had a Pop-Tart this morning? Pop-Tart for breakfast. How many of you know what a Pop-Tart is? Oh, good. Okay. How many of you have ate a Pop-Tart? Okay. Just not this morning, right? I ate one last night just so I could say I've ate one recently. <laughs> they really aren't the most... I mean, they're, they're okay, I guess, in a pinch. But uh, there are a lot of Pop-Tarts out there. I was watching a commercial yesterday. Jolly Rancher Pop-Tarts now? I mean, they, they've got soda Pop-Tarts. They've got, I mean, all kinds. Well, the history of Pop-Tarts actually stems from the Post Company. They started one that was called Country Squares. They had developed a package that was foil that would seal in freshness. And they were selling it to dog food companies. Now, that's not what's in a Pop-Tart. Okay, so don't let your minds wander too far yet. But they put that out. They were going to put that on the market, but something stalled them. And their competitor, Kellogg's, jumped right on it and came out with Pop-Tart. The original Pop-Tarts, if you can remember, were not frosted. A Pop-Tart in and of itself today, frosted, like we said, has kind of a unique taste. Can you imagine eating a non-frosted Pop-Tart? And having that the only thing available. Well, Pop-Tarts came out. They were four flavors. Strawberry, blueberry, brown sugar cinnamon, and apple currant. Now, I don't know. Has anyone in here had an apple currant Pop-Tart? No? Have anybody ever heard of an apple currant Pop-Tart? I bet if you had those right now, you could put them on eBay and make some bucks. I don't know. Well, in 2001... The United States military dropped 2.4 Pop-Tarts in Afghanistan. <laughs> no wonder we're at war with those people. 2017, the flavors began to expand. And a couple of the flavors I do like are, I still like the blueberry. I think that's what I had last night. I think that's all that was in there. And the blue raspberry. Shake it harder, Mark. <laughs> when Mark would come up to the house, the first thing he would go to was the blue raspberry, wouldn't you? <clears throat> so much that I had to hide them. <laughs> As of this year, every year that Pop-Tarts have been sold, they've increased, in, they've increased their numbers. 35 straight years of sales increases. Can you imagine that? Now, I say all that just to say this. He said, I wish you'd have said that in the first place. Variety is the spice of life. And you know what? We like it in another area sometimes too. So much that we like it in our truth. We like to have varieties of truth. Now, truth is either what it corresponds to reality or it corresponds to our feelings. And our scripture today speaks of an individual who took truth, twisted it, and made it for himself. If you go back to the scripture, you'll see that one of the things that this man 
Micah did was he twisted God's word. Now, one of the things he did, he stole. He took his mama's money. Violation? Well, if I look at the, the way the Bible's laid out, Judges comes after Exodus. What is in Exodus that makes Judges wrong? Or at least this particular passage wrong? Thou shalt not steal. Pretty clear, right? Not a lot of words. God keeps it simple. Okay? That's why he calls us sheep. Sheep are what? Not bright animals. I didn't say dumb. I'm not saying dumb. There are more of you out there than there are me. My mama didn't raise a fool, okay? So I'm, I'm going to use my words wisely. But thou shalt not steal, com, or yes, thou shalt not steal, comes before this passage. So he stole. Violation of God's word? Sure. Okay? Then we see that what he does is he gives it back, and his mama excuses him, but she honors him and says, oh, I'm going to give this to you. And he says, no, I don't want it all. We just need to do this. And what did they do? They take some of that money and they create a false god. Now, again, stay with me. Exodus, judges. Right or wrong? Wrong. All right? That's two things. Now we go on and we look and see that what he does is he begins now to consecrate a son. That means to set apart. He consecrates one of his sons to be, and there's a word there that I think we need to actually pay attention to, and it says his priest. His priest. You see that word? Now, this man has done enough wrong. I don't think he's looking just for a mere intercessor. But he's looking for someone to give him. Usually what do most sons and fathers, I know there's some issues at times, but young boys often what? Idolize their fathers, don't they? Think a little bit of that's happening here? Maybe so. Dad just made himself a what? He made himself a God. Enough wrong? Seems to be. Then when we go on, we see that he sets and points himself as a spokesman. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and 23 tells us that what will eventually happen is the creation okay, will begin to worship itself. It will turn from the creator. Now, we can look at that verse and we can see the basic degeneration of humanity in Romans chapter 1. And it starts out with making man central. To everything. And so we see here that he decided on a variety of truth. And so when we ask, how do we, how do we get to these two different truths? How do we get to, to a truth that is God's truth and a truth that has become man's truth? What has created this mess? And really what had happened was, if you go back to about the 1700s, man began to, to experience what they called the age of enlightenment. They began to think. Now some of the thoughts that they had wasn't too bad. Because they started thinking about the uniqueness of the human mind and what it was able to think about and what it was able to do. And they were right, because God tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Each one of us is unique. They heard the, talking about the shoeboxes being as individual as snowflakes. Well, that's the same way with you. You are an individual. You are unique. There's, there's something that God has given to you that is unique in you. 
He has given you a DNA makeup that makes you who you are. And with that, that's an okay thing. But the problem was, as they began to think, they began to forget God. And it started with, basically, Charles Darwin. When he began to look again at the creation and began to fashion in his mind, wait a minute, the creation did this. The creation created itself through a processes. And we know that today is what? Natural selection, evolution. And so by doing that, what we come to find out that what science began to try to make true was not always true. In fact, science continues to change. That's one of the things of science, isn't it? To find new truth. Or at least to find the truth. How many of you remember the X-Files? I remember the X-Files. What was Mulder always looking for? He had a big poster. The truth is out there. Right? But whose truth again? Because when science looks for truth, and by the way, I'm not anti-science. Science Science and, and religion go hand in hand. Science was started by many men who are men of the Bible. Okay? A lot of the science that we have today even continues because there are men of God who can, men and women of God, I should say, who continue the advancement of sciences because they believe that all wisdom is given by God. But it's distorted at times. And so what, what happens is man begins to rely more on science, and science can only discover the truth in the natural realm. That's why the world has such a hard time reconciling itself with the mind that we are a triune being. Yes, we have physicality. We are physical. Yes, we have a mind. But we also have a spirit. We're triune being, and God has made us that way. And science can't answer the question of the spirit. But therein lies what is the truth of the question. What is wrong with the truth? Because the truth lies solely within understanding who God is and what His Word says. When people began to believe the physical world was all there is, that there was no supernatural, that there was no God, they began to no longer believe in the revelation of the supernatural. They began to discount miracles. They began to discount even salvation. I was watching the show just yesterday, and one of the guys, he's, uh, he's, a, he, he's an admitted skeptic, and he laughs at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's going to find the truth one day, isn't he? He thinks he knows the truth, but the truth is going to come and stare him right in the eyes and say, I was always, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except by me. Well, there are three things that I have in your bulletin this morning that I want to talk about. And the first one is that absolute truth sets standards. It sets the laws. It sets the morals. This is why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can enter the kingdom of heaven but by him. In other words, he is the only way by which we are able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And it's by God's design. It's by God's plan. Now, it may defy what you believe. It may defy, well, I shouldn't say what you believe, because the fact that you're here, believe you believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. But the, when I say the world defies that, they don't want to come to that place, that place at the cross where someone who took on the form of humanity 
still possessing his deity, went to that cross with one expressed purpose, to take the sin of the world away so that mankind, all humanity, could come to salvation through that act on the cross. And Jesus' blood paid for all those sins. But it didn't end just there. You see, again, a lot of people have no problem with kind of a mystical resurrection of Jesus Christ. A ghostly resurrection. Sort of, a, again, a spiritual resurrection. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus was firstborn of the dead. He rose from the dead and He lives today in a body that can be touched. But the world does not want to accept that. Because the world says science can't explain that. And so it goes against our norms. It goes against the laws of science. But God says, hey, I set some rules. And the Bible tells us that God's commands are not grievous. That means they're, they're not burdensome. In other words, every command that God gives isn't so God can sit on a throne, look at you... And think how miserable He can make your life. It's the opposite. It's to set you free. It's to allow you to live the life that He created. The life that He designed for you to have. He gives you these guardrails so that Satan cannot have his way in your life. And so when He sets these standards, we have to recognize that it come to us through Scripture. The Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For doctrine, that is teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In other words, when we see something is wrong, we are to use the Bible Scripture, we're to know it so that we can correct that which is wrong so that God's way is the way that's done. Buzzwords for today is if it feels good, do it. I'm okay, you're okay. There are many paths to the one truth. I mean, those are the buzzwords for today. You have your truth, I have my truth. Those cannot simply exist in the realm of understanding what absolute truth is. Joseph Fletcher is the, is the identified as the father, father of today's what's called situation ethics. And we all practice it at some time. Because what we do is we put ourselves in a situation, or we find ourselves in a situation, and what we decide is, what is the best outcome for me? Rather than what is the best outcome that God has planned for me. Rather than seeing what God would have happen. And because of that, we begin to think, hmm, if I... Ignore what Scripture says here. I'll get my way. I'll get what I want. And I think it'll be better. Only to come to find out, if you've practiced that, if you've ever tried that, you find out it doesn't work for you. You know, we testify as Christians, God's way is the best way. God is good. God is great. Is He? Then if He is, then He's got the best way for you. And sometimes what that means is, is that what you think is right for your situation 
may take you through a trial by fire. It may cost you. You may have to sacrifice something. But in the end, God's way will be the right way for you, no matter what it is. And so situation ethics tells us that it's not always wrong to lie. It's not always wrong to cheat. It's not always wrong to kill. It's not always wrong to do something that God's Word is clearly against. And we've got to be careful that we don't fall into that and allow that to happen. The second thing is absolute truth keeps chaos at bay. <coughs> How many of you are familiar with the phrase at bay? Oh, good. All right, one. Okay, you, you're not sure. <laughs> She's going, I think I know, but I'm not really sure. <laughs> it was really, it's a term that was basically used when, when hounds hunt. And when a hound goes to find its, its prey, we'll use a fox hunt, for example, so that when the hounds corner the fox, they don't go and just rip it up. What they do is they're called at bay. There's a call or a whistle that is made. And they just keep barking, keeping that animal penned in. In other words, they're kind of held back from pouncing. And that's what absolute truth does for us as well. It keeps chaos. It keeps anarchy at bay. Today what we see is, sadly, there seems to be a new law in our land that says mob rules. In other words, if we get enough people, we can be destructive enough, we can do what we want, we can bash in windows, we can tear things up, we can hurt people, we can kill people, and if everybody's on our side in that way, it's okay. Folks, it's not okay. It's never okay simply to take the law into your own hand. That's called vigilantism. And we don't practice that. God has given us over to civility. That's what His laws do for us. They cause us to care for one another. In Galatians it says, bear one another's burdens. Care for one another. Love one another. You see, all that is scriptural so that what we recognize is that God has called us to be a civil and social people. That we don't exist outside of that realm one on one. You care about me, I care about you. And we don't just say it, we show it. We put it into action. The Bible says, let our speech be seasoned with grace. Speaking well of one another. Talking to one another. Caring for one another. All of these things are not happening in our world today. And so what happens is, we ignore Scripture. But we have, again, a unifier. And that unifier is the Word of God. In Peter it says this, that we know that, first of all, that prophecy of Scripture is of no private interpretation. In other words, God has given it for one meaning. And it isn't for me to read one thing and say, well, this is what I got out of it. And then you read something and you say, well, I got this out of it. Now, sometimes we'll look at Scriptures. And sometimes we'll say, oh, you know, this said this to me. 
But when you get to the core of its interpretation, it has one meaning and one meaning alone. And the theme that is currently running throughout the Bible has since the first word was spoken and continues to the last word is spoken is that it is God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to salvation. You see, that's, that's what the Scripture is about. Is that we have a call to take the gospel message out to a world that needs to hear, needs to know that they are lost. We need to rediscover the burden of, for the lost and care about their eternal place. You know, sometimes we get too comfortable. Someone just died. I don't know who they are. And they went to hell. You don't know who they are. But does it bother you that they went to hell? That someone was living one moment and they ceased to live the next. And now their eternity is eternal separation from God. Not because God chose it. Because the Bible says that, that hell was made for the devil and his angels. He, didn't intend, he doesn't intend for man to go there. He's provided a way. That's Jesus Christ. But somebody went to hell. Somebody you know may be in hell today. Someone you know may be on that road today. We need to recognize that the express purpose of Scripture is that we have a unified message. We don't have a chaotic message. God is not the author of chaos. He says this, I love you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Church, do you believe that? Church, do you believe that? We need to live that. We need to live the Word of God out in all that we do. Because somebody is dependent upon hearing it. But it's more likely they'll see it first before they hear it. So we need to trust in God in all that He is. The third thing is this. Absolute truth can be trusted because it's constant. It doesn't change. You know why I'm able to do what I do? It's because the God that I accepted when I walked down that aisle many years ago is the same God today. He's the same God. <coughs> the promises that He had for me when I walked down that aisle are the same promises that He has for me today. The same things that he told me then is, are the same things that he continues to tell me today. Because he's constant. Immutable. Unchanging. Malachi 3.6 tells us of this immutability of God. Hebrews um, tells us that. James tells us that. We see that God never changes. He's not moved by the current events. 
And so it tells us something, that God is recognizing that He makes a bridge for us from where our sin is, from where we are sinful man, to His eternal place in the heavens. And He bridges that because it's built on a sure foundation of Jesus Christ. Bridges need sure foundations, amen? Which is better to cross? On a bridge? Or stepping stones in water? Bridge has that foundation. Stepping stones rely on the gravel, the sand that's underneath, that's constantly shifting as the waters move by. Maybe you've walked on one of those stepping stones, only to slip, only to fall. Dangerous. And we build our truth on those same things. We live in dangerous ground. We live in dangerous territory. Biblical truth tells us that truth is revealed by God. It's not constructed by man. It exists and it's knowable. God tells us we can know this. Romans chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 says this. It says, For what if some did not believe? Will their belief, unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not indeed. Let God be true. But every man is a liar, as is written, that you may be justified in your words and may uh, overcome when you are judged. In other words, it doesn't matter what man says. How many of you can remember Time Magazine's front page statement one time? God is dead. Can I tell you something? Time Magazine doesn't print anymore. Did you hear what I said? Voltaire, the French philosopher, said that his works would far outlast the Bible. Recently, a set of works of Voltaire went on sale and only fetched a few dollars, while a beautifully calfskin Bible that was several hundred years old went for tens of thousands. Interestingly enough, the International Bible Society is housed in Voltaire's former home. (laughs) Nietzsche said, God is dead. Where is he? How many of you had something wonderful happen to you in the last year? Raise your hand and attribute it to God. Maybe, Maybe he fed you. Maybe you thanked him for your food. Did you do that? Did you have a meal the next day? Did you recognize that meal came from God? He put a roof over your head? All those wonderful blessings that you have day in and day out, they came from God, and man says, no, they can't, because God is dead. No, God's not dead. God is alive. He is alive. And the Word of God says it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Truth is absolute in nature. Sadly, a recent Barna survey showed that 57% of adult Christians, or adult people, not Christians necessarily, say that knowing what is right or wrong is a matter of personal experience. Again, we go back to situation ethics, don't we? Said that there are basically six tenets that we should be practicing. 
But the best way of, or so that we should not be practicing, because these have been replaced by what he calls a new moral code, the best way of finding yourself is by looking within yourself. The Bible says that all our thoughts are evil. The heart is wicked. It's deceitful. It's hmm. a good place to start, isn't it? People should not criticize someone else's life choice. To be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things you desire most. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Most Americans try to pursue money, don't they? Let me tell you, greed is the number one sin in America today, isn't it? It comes in all, excuse me, all facets. The highest goal of life is to enjoy it as much as possible. The Bible says, I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. People can believe whatever they want as long as, the, as those beliefs don't affect society. <laughs> in other words, keep your opinion to yourself, church. Any kind of sexual expression between two consenting adults is acceptable. The Bible says adulterers and fornicators go to hell. We know also that the truth is universal. It applies everywhere. One of the things that we recognize, the gospel message and the moral code of God, um, uh, they're not restricted by cultural conditions. Truth is the same today as it was yesterday. God's truth is eternal, and it's systematic and unified. In other words, it brings us together, and it is an end of itself. So what does that tell us? Well, the Creator has revealed Himself to us through His Word. He's revealed us Himself through the Holy Bible. It's still the Word of God. It is still, as we believe as a gathered people, it is the sole authority for our faith and our practice. And everything that's in this book, everything that's in this Bible, we hold true to be the truth of God. And all that we do, all that we do. And so knowing absolute truth and universal truth is the only possible through the personal relationship of Jesus Christ. I said that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except by Him. That's absolute truth. So what's wrong with the truth? Well, it simply is that we live in a world that doesn't want accountability any longer. It doesn't want to be accountable for itself. You see, because deep down, deep down, all of humanity recognizes there is an end and there's an accountability. Scripture says death is an appointment. It says and then the judgment. How about you today? Have you... Kept yourself accountable before the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you accepted what He has said? Is He your absolute truth? Do you do what you do based on God's Word or upon the Word of man? Make that decision today. Stand for absolute truth. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank You for Your Word and for every word that is in there. Every word is calculated Every word tells us that it comes from you and that all that we do, Father, all that we recognize is coming from you to give us life and life more abundantly. We don't have to recognize that life has to be miserable here. You've made life great for many of us. You've taken care of us in such a wonderful way. 
only to give us a promise, Lord, that there's going to be greater life, greater life when we step into your kingdom. And so, Father, may our hearts and our minds be focused on kingdom living today and standing for what is absolutely true, the truth of Jesus Christ, a unified message by a unified body, God. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.